We're halfway through the preliminary round of EHF Euro 2024 and we've just had the greatest handball story of all time. Brian Campion was there to witness Faroe Islands. Faroe Islands draw against Norway, coming back from three goals in the final minutes, two goals in the final seconds to snatch a draw. And Brian's not here to talk about it. But I'm here. I didn't see the game because I was busy doing Greece versus fucking Denmark. (laughs) Alex was there watching it all. And uh, he's going to do the heavy lifting on this first part of the podcast. How are you doing, Alex? I am shook, Chris. Shook? I'm absolutely shaking right now. God. What? What a result. I literally, I actually had a tweet already typed up. Something along the lines of, Another brave performance by the Faroe Islands. <laughs> you know, remember they're so young, they're going to be around for a long time. They'll ma- make an impact someday. But they made an impact today and drew against Norway, which is absolutely bonkers to think about. This nation of 53,000 people, who 10% of which are, are in Berlin at the moment, and they were able to take down one of the you know, powerhouses of world handball. You know, I think we've, we keep talking about Faroe Islands as being like a small nation and it kind of, you just have to revert back to the original story of this is just a small town, essentially, that has climbed to the top of world handball, led by a bunch of 21-year-olds. Well, 18 to (laughs) 21-year-olds. And you said there they took down Norway. Well, it was a draw, but never has a team won 26-26 before. (laughs) Faroe Islands won that match (laughs) 26-26. They absolutely won that match 26-26. And it it actually puts a lot of pressure on Norway now. They have to essentially beat Slovenia um, or avoid losing uh, by a number of goals to, uh, to go through. But it's not about Norway right now it is about the Faroe Islands and it was a unbelievable performance from start to finish from this Faroese team they their stars and I you know their young stars really showed up um Oli Mitten in the first half was incredible and I knew that this was going to be a good day for Faroe Islands mm. when in the first half, Oli Mitten broke through, took a shot. It got saved by Bergerud and Oli Mitten lying just outside of six meters received the ball back while the whole Norwegian defense was already up an attack and put it back in. They're the type of lucky breaks that you need to um, get a result like this for Faroe Islands. And, it was so impressive. It was just so impressive. 
We we will have uh, Brian later on in the podcast. Uh, at the moment, he's he's still working over in Berlin. Uh, like reeling from this life changing moment that I think he and everyone else in there is having. Uh, so we're going to hear from him later in the podcast. Um, but tell me, I mean, the I was looking at the the stats as I was doing the game uh, here in Munich, and you know, I saw in the first half that Elias Ellison Ashipagotu had an underwhelming performance in front of goal, but he was pinging in the assists. But what really stood out to me was that they were using the full width of the squad and looking at the the report here and looking how many minutes all of these players got, Peter Bredsdorf Larsen really used his full squad, which is not something I necessarily expected from this team before the championship. And I, I wonder if it was a lesson learned from that game against Slovenia because they did run out of steam against Slovenia. And I think defensively is where um, they, they really feel it. So they must have learned that, you know, let's rotate the squad and make sure that when it comes to the end, our best players are a little bit more fresh and a, a little bit better. And uh, they, they did start to wilt in that second half. So they had... Um, a really impressive game throughout. It was level pretty much neck and neck until the 45th minute, maybe. It was 2020 uh, on the 45th minute. And what Faroe Islands did really well is they employed some of the best seven-on-six attack I've ever seen. It was... They didn't concede a single empty net goal, and I think they... It must have been, you know, 50 or 60% of their attacks were in the seven on six. Didn't concede a, it was just so mature and measured because these players, Skipriotu or Oli Mitten or Paulson on the right back who had a really good game as well, they were just so patient. They would stand there at nine, 10 minutes and just wait for Norway to make a move. And as much as Norway tried to just stand back and like let them do their thing, just one player would take a step forward mm. and then bang, 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 it's out to the wing, goal. And Nicholas Satchel as well, you have to um, give it to him. He really stepped up in that first half. Um, he, he just went through a really good run. When Norway were starting to get into the game, um, Nicholas Satchel popped up and uh, I think he basically had a 50% save rate um, in that first half. Yeah. It was, it was and, really, uh, really good. I saw earlier today you were pushing the, the podcast we did back in April where Brian and I were in uh, Torshavid in Faroe Islands, spoke to a bunch of people. One of them was uh, Elias Ellison I should be good to, worth uh, going back to listen to it for that. Another one was Nicholas Satchwell. And for those of you listening who don't know that story, the too long didn't read version of it was 12 years ago. He was battling to try and get into the Great Britain side for the 2012 Olympics. Was a third-choice goalkeeper. Didn't get in, but uh, here he is now. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure uh, he made the right decision for which nation to pursue uh, in his further career because he's just become uh, one of many, many national heroes, if they weren't already, uh, for Faroe Islands. And you have to say that wow. the fans were incredible. I'll, I'll let Brian speak about the fans, but there's just one chant that really stuck with me and I just loved it. You know the yeah. Kola Torre chant? 
Colo, Colo Torre. They were doing that chant, but with Ollie and Polly ah. Mitton. So it was Ollie, Ollie Mitton, Ollie Mitton, Polly, 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 Polly. So good. So good. The fans, uh, incredible. I'm sure Brian will, will speak about it. But it looked like things were repeating for the Faroe Islands uh, in this game about kind of just into that last quarter, Norway just started slicing through the defense. Faroe Islands were still scoring their goals. Um, they were still playing well. But this defense that Faroe Islands have, which is really impressive, it's, you know, Faroe Islands are one of the smaller teams in this competition. They just, they're not big guys, but they're really active. They're up and down, up and down, disrupting the attack and that really hurt Norway in the first half because what Norway like to do is you know Sagesen, Rudd and um, Johansson like to just pass it around a bit and get a bit of momentum but every time they just got started with their momentum a Faroese player was there to stop them take them down stop them take them down and it really frustrated them and I think Sagesen had a, a really poor game overall uh, I don't know his stats but he, he was definitely off um, but in the last quarter, that defense obviously got tired. It just, it just did. It's such an active defense. It takes so much hard work that Norway were just slicing through. And it, was, um, it started stretching. It was 25-23 to Norway. And that's when, that's when we were thinking, okay, mm. nice work, Faroe Islands. You've done it. You've... you've really made a game of it but uh, I think this is just a little bit too much and even on top of that so first Norway started getting into um, a bit of suspension trouble they they had a few pretty bad ones including a red card for Overby in, in the last part they were really roughing up the Faroese players and the refs didn't like that very fairly um, they started getting into trouble but despite that Norway still ahead and then the moment where I thought everything was over, that's when I started writing my tweet, essentially, <laughs> was when Norway had the ball. Um, they had just gone, they were player down. They'd gone through many attacks. It was the last pass, essentially. And the skipper, skipper go-to, he stepped forward too early before... And, you know, the Faroe team was already warned two or three times to stay back on the mm. six meters and not step up on the shooting Sagesen too early. And they were warned, and it was the skipper that stepped forward, got a two-minute suspension, and you're thinking, that's oh, it. Man. That's, you know, that's the game over. Um, you know, what, what, what can we do here? Um, from that... Uh, after that, essentially, Norway had a little bit more time because time reset, and it was 56 minutes. Alexander Blantz scored a penalty to make it 26-23. And then something happened. <laughs> and I don't know what happened. Well, it happened now <laughs> two days in a row, and I thought the headline of this podcast was going to be Iceland's miraculous comeback against Serbia. There I was on site. There I could take you through the blow-by-blow account of it. But this, I mean, tell me about it. Like, all I'm seeing here is 59th minute, 
Elias Ellison, Elias Ellison, makes it a two-goal game, and then the final minute, two more goals. But how? Yeah. So uh, the skipper came back on. It was fifty-eight twenty-two when he got that goal. Um, then uh, it was another turnover by Norway. Very quickly, Ferwans went up the other side of the pitch and scored a goal. And this was, this was just like, okay, here we go. Here we go. Things are going here. Timeout by Norway with uh, 10 seconds left. And the, you went to the, the bench, the Norwegian players. They've done it before. They failed at this many times. I mean, we had, we had Daniel Hoagland tell us that last year was the worst moment of his life when they did this. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Bjornsson was on the pitch. Maybe he was taken off for those last two, 10 seconds. But 10 seconds left. They have the ball in the middle it, and, and it's not a it's not a throw off it's just a free so you know players are allowed to mm. roam free anywhere on the pitch and Norway looking very confident looking very relaxed I'm, I didn't understand the timeout, but I'm sure the one thing that uh, Jonas Villa was telling his players was do not jump and pass the ball don't jump and pass the ball but he forgot one crucial thing that the other thing you don't do is bounce when you're in the middle of the court with a bunch of Faroese 21-year-olds roaming around you. And it was exactly that. That's what Reinkin did. He got the ball and he was super calm and collected, but maybe too calm. And he took a step forward and a swarm of Faroese players uh, gathered around him and instead of just chucking away the ball, like he could have just thrown it into the, the corner where there were some Norwegian players and just hail Mary, that's it, you know. Yeah. As long as it's still on the court, then it's fine. And what he did was bounce it. And that's when the skipper, the man of the moment, snuck away from Sander Sagesen and swiped the ball away from Reinkind, started running up the court and just got rugby ta- tackled by, uh, I, I think it was, Reinkind. Harold Reinkind. Yeah. yeah. And I love that Harold Reinkind, uh, he looks at the referee and tries to suggest that it was uh, Asha Begotu who held on to him. <laughs> that did not happen. Elias had w- only eyes for that goal. Oh, it was oh, incredible. Nice. And and oh, the funny thing is, they actually, uh, the referee probably called it a little bit too early because... Uh, Ashibikoto was able to pass the ball uh, to a completely free um, Furries player. I think it was Hansen who would have put that away. But the rules of the game are if it's in the last 30 seconds and it's deliberate, goal stopping fell, it goes to seven meters. And I had no doubt, absolutely no doubt that Elias Elofsson Ashibikoto was going to step up and make history for the Faroe Islands. It was written in the stars. And you know what I really liked about it? He scored, and the entire team ran all the way back across the court to their fans. They didn't celebrate with themselves. They went to their fans. They wanted to share that moment with all those people. And it was really, really beautiful. That, 
I th- thankfully the, the Denmark Greece game ended early enough for me to watch those final <laughs> 11 seconds. <laughs> so that I got to see live. Oh, and holy shit. That was incredible. What a, that, that, what a time. And so th- there's a but what what was he thinking? That was your question on what Twitter. Was he you know, you mentioned the two golden rules of this situation. We're going to have an interview coming up with Vuko Borjan from Montenegro and while I was waiting for that interview I uh, met Tony Girona, the Serbia coach, our former coach for Ireland, and he and his team saw a two-goal lead disappear in the final minute where Peter Djordjic jumped, turned, and passed the ball away. And that's how they, they uh, lost that last goal. Tony Girona said <laughs> to us many, many times, the one thing, not just in, in these situations, but ever... Do not jump and try to pass. And he said it. He said it to me. And I just had flashbacks to 2012, 2013, when he was our coach and shouting at wing players to not jump and pass the ball. Chickens! It's even at the lowest level of international handball up to the very highest. Those principles have come uh, come to the forefront of our minds <laughs> in the last couple of days. And uh, it's kind of beautiful in a way. But holy moly. Yeah, and I could see, uh, you could see that what, what they wanted to do was Rankin was going to get the ball, then he was going to pass to Sagason, and then Sagason was going to take steps forward. That's what they planned. But the the stupid part about that is that they did it on the halfway line. They made these two close passes. They didn't try to just move the ball away from their own goal, which would have pretty much, you know, sealed any chances for a goal, even if they did get the steal. And um, but they got it. Then the skipper scored the goal, uh, five goals, ten assists in the end. And yeah. while Skipper Gotu didn't have the greatest game in attack, it's because Norway just gave him so much attention. He was like, "There's a Alex. If you if you get ten assists, you've done something. Yeah, exactly. A shooting game. Shots, but you get ten assists, you've done something right. Exactly. So he, you know, there's so much attention on him that he was able to just play the ball around. And some of the passes he did were absolutely incredible, slicing and dicing through a Norwegian defense. This has turned into the Faroe Islands podcast uh, for this day, and rightly so because this is the story of the championship so far. Um, We'll hear more." from Brian, who was on, on the ground. But before we go into our chat with uh, Vuko Borjan, anything else you want to touch upon? Or is it all pale in comparison now? A lot has happened these last few days. A lot has happened. I think we'll go into it. We'll, we'll, we'll go into uh, the performances of some of the teams. I think at this stage, we've seen every team and we've seen what they're capable of. Um, it's hard to judge at the start of a tournament. Um, Mm. I'll, I'll kind of go back to the women's world championship where France's closest game was that very first game against Angola, which they almost yeah. lost and then romped to the world championship. So you can't put everything on, on the first game, but it's, you know, it's a wild ride and every team is good in this competition. And we've seen it now that there's no easy games and, Already, things are getting mixed up for the main round. You know, every point counts. We mentioned Serbia briefly. I think that's uh, that's one to touch on. Serbia did a fantastic job for 58 and a half minutes. They planned 
brilliantly for Iceland. Uh, the defence was was just like focused towards shutting down Omar Guy Magnussen and Gisli Christiansen, and they gave them so little space to play with. And yeah, I think that was that was highly impressive. Yes, they threw it away in the end, but finally, I think we're seeing a, a Serbia team that are are beginning to to show on the promise they've had for a couple of years. Are you worried at all about the the Iceland performance? Uh, based on what you've seen? I was I was a little bit worried, I have to say, um, by the performance. And especially their flow in attack was... It, it wasn't great. They they were really slow and they got most of their goals through fast breaks. Actually, both teams um, were quite poor in the set attack, but both teams made lots of errors, made lots of technical mistakes, with, which led to fast breaks. And for Iceland maybe they've just been a little bit fingered out. It, they've been studied by teams and they know that these guys aren't going to shoot from nine meters, except for yeah. one player on the Icelandic team. And that is Aaron Palmerson, who uh, <laughs> yes. who came up with... Holy shit. What? Like, that? there was two absolute rockets. And there was a lot of conversation of like, oh, Palmerson has really turned up in this game. and He played really well. He played okay. He was zero from two. Yeah, oh, before the last, he wasn't interested. He was the playmaker. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he had two shots early on, and then you know the rest of the time he was like, no. Nah. Um, and I wondered aloud whether he would, in those final minutes, like actually take the shots again because it looked like nobody was, as you said, nobody was going to shoot from outside. Serbia had them had done their homework. They weren't giving them the gaps that they usually create. Um, so it was either the wingers are going to shoot. They finally figured that out, I think, in the second half, like creating the space for the wingers. Um, or Aaron was going to have to do it, and he bloody did it twice. He did, he did it, and that, that second goal was incredible, the one that rocketed off the crossbar um, at 10 metres standing. Um, really, really impressive, and broke Serbia's hearts. And then again, another steal. As you said, Peter Georgic jumped this time. Uh, it's something I think teams need to start training that moment the moment when you're one goal down or one goal up and you just need to hold on for 15-20 seconds and teams need to have a set play that just gets the ball away it really surprised me that national teams and club teams don't train it like it is and this is kind of uh, maybe borrowing something from like you know, American sports, because I think Americans would look at this and they're like, I don't understand how a team can't, like, calculate the end of this game. You know, it's such a thing in basketball, it's such a thing in American football, like, uh, both in attack and defense, like, how you figure out these final minutes and final seconds of the games. Uh, and it happens so often. It does. <laughs> I don't know. I cannot, I, I, I'm going to have to ask some coaches at this championship, like, do you actually prepare for this? And if not... Why not? Yeah, and it's something as simple as a screen. Like, I know it's not really a thing in handball. Maybe the refs would freak out. But, you know, <laughs> literally have a bunch of guys stand getting in the way of where the ball wants to go. An offensive line. Yeah, just something. <laughs> there, there's got to be a better way of doing it. And yeah. uh, this time it was Sigvaldi Johnson that ended up with the ball, put it away. And Sigvaldi Johnson is one of the funnest players to watch in world handball. Yeah. He is the most viral 
player of all time. His TikTok, I think, from the last European Championship got, what, like 28 million, 50 million views. Um, but he's he's really amazing to watch. But for Iceland, it's... I'll reserve judgment for a second because I think Serbia are a good team. And I, you know, we know how much... Uh, planning and work Tony Girona does to against the other teams so I think he really figured them out and they've had the longest to prepare for exactly. this team like that they've known that for a long time that this was the opening game talk to me about Croatia oh, Croatia and Spain what, what did we say what did we say before the championship feed the youth and they will score <laughs> literally I talked about it right before the championship and what did Goran Perkovic the coach of Croatia do he sat down, Igor Karacic, he sat down, Duvniak, and he gave the ball to Tin Lucine, Ivan Martinovic, and Zvolomir Serna. And it just worked. They, they were just like, they're raring to go. They broke into an amazing lead and they, they just looked fantastic, athletic. And then when you need it, you have these old heads who are... Amazing in both attack and defense, like Karadzic, Dubniak and Sindrich to come in and steady the ship when you need it or take over if um, the young guns are kind of getting ahead of themselves. And it, it was really good. Even Martinovic, uh, eight goals. Um, Tim Lucine, I think, got six goals in the end. And uh, Mario Sosterich, that was something that um, Nejad mentioned before, that he was a great coup for Croatia on the right wing, eight from eight, really good. And one of the players on my highest scoring player on my fantasy team, actually. So nice. thank you, Mario Sosteric. But the day belonged to the Spanish goalkeepers. The the storyline belonged to the Spanish goalkeepers. And one save in the game from both Gonzalo Perez de Vargas. One from 36. One from 36. Gonzalo Perez de Vargas and Sergei Hernandez couldn't do it. And I'm sure Rodrigo Corrales, with his painful back that didn't stop them from coming to this championship, was probably knocking his head against the wall at home, raring to be on that court. Yeah, and uh, I know there's a, a lot of really lot of Spanish fans out there uh, after your tweets yesterday ready to, to take you down and take us all collectively down when they go for a big run later in the championship. But um, yeah, I'm not sure if that's gonna. I'm not sure if that's gonna happen. I think this is the final. My, I, Spain are gonna go through the main round. That is obvious. They're in a perhaps the weakest group of the championship with Romania and Austria. But it was a the ultimate example of this kind of uh, this debate, which was had was quite a, a red thread through our preview podcasts about you know the holding on to the a generation of players which may not be uh, the best players for the team anymore. Croatia finally made that transition. Spain have not done it yet. Um, it's a whole other uh, it's a whole other Olympic cycle later where we thought some of these players were going to be gone. Um, and an example of it is uh, Miguel Sanchez Migayon is injured. And who do they call up? Viran Moros. Who is still playing, and he's playing in Switzerland, he's playing European League, but, like, I, that's it's living in the past, and, uh, you know, it could come back to haunt us, but I have a feeling this time, uh, my question, 
And my, my fear that I shared to Nedzad about not believing in Spain could finally be justified. <laughs> it's uh, But full credit to Croatia, though, I have to say. The one time I put my neck out for Spain. <laughs> the one time I do yeah. it, and they chose like that. But you know who is in a great position right now? Tell me. Germany. Oh, yes. Because Spain have dropped two points. Iceland and Serbia have dropped a point going into the main round. Unless unless Hungary go through with somebody. Oops, actually, that, that whole group is... <laughs> that whole, I wouldn't make... I'm not making no judgments in that group, uh, as as we'll hear from Vuko uh, later. That's wide open. But, uh, yeah. But, yes, Germany all of a sudden uh, are looking in a pretty decent position. Uh, they still have to beat France, though, to take points with them into the main round. Yeah. They do. But I think they... Even if they don't take points they're in a good, pretty good spot to actually beat some of these teams that are going to go into that really tight main round group. And yeah, it's it's looking great. Has it not been great, Chris? Don't you great. love handball? I love handball. I love full crowds. Full crowds everywhere. It's just great times. Germany is delivering in that department, that's for sure. We're only halfway through the preliminary round. Still a long way to go. And now, before we hear from Brian Campion, going to have uh, our interview for this podcast and uh, another nice story from this was the re-emergence of big Vuko Borjan who uh, after seven years away from the national team is back from Montenegro and the you know surrounding all of this was talk of him switching nat- nationalities a few years ago he uh, has struggled since leaving Vesprem being he's been in the Middle East playing he's been in Asia playing he's uh, been he has had his contracts cancelled in in Zagreb uh, last season. Just a lot of uncertainty about whether he'd be able to get his career back on track. So I, for one, was delighted to see him uh, really in in full flow, both in attack and defence, looking really fit and looking really good. So I thought it would be a good chance to uh, have a chat with him about his comeback to the team and how he saw the game against Hungary. Yeah, so Vuko, it's uh, been a long time since you were in the national team and uh, your, your return for the first game yesterday was very impressive, I have to say. What was your impression of the game yesterday? Yes, I uh, back after 16, I think. Yeah. Now yesterday, this first game, from the first big game, this championship, and uh, we lose, we don't have lucky. We play, I think, uh, good and... Uh, we don't uh, play good last 10 minutes because we stay in, in this uh, score 19 we don't score 3-4 three, three, attack and I think we lose in this 10 minutes this game. Uh, you, you had a huge role to play. You were playing a big role in defence in the centre. Heavy game to play as well. And uh, in the attack, I noticed a few times like you went down heavily. You had to come off. You were getting a lot of treatment as well. So how's the body feeling after that? Yes, before I play in Vardar and I play number two and number five in defence. And uh, in Vespem I play three and four and attack. And after, after Vespem I always play this... 3-4 and attack left back and okay myself is good I prepare everything today I'm I am very good yeah you feel okay? yes I feel okay yeah. normal yes I like always like always they have to and not not good because of we lose but I'm yeah. ready for the next game yeah 
And was there anything that uh, that surprised you about uh, about the performance yesterday? Because uh, you're relatively new back to the team. No, 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 never. I don't surprise because I know who I am and I always believe in myself. I know how I play this handball and I know one thing. I know prepare myself for big, big games. Yeah. So for me, this is normal. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you look in great shape. You're moving very well. Um, I mean, the, the last couple of years could not have been very easy for you. Uh, this season, you've been back playing in Montenegro. You're gone from the club now, right? Yes, I I, I, I came back in in Lovchen because we play this uh, AHF Europe League, and uh, I have contract uh, this six six month plus. And uh, we go out, uh, we don't go in next uh, round and now I am free because in our country, okay, it's nice play home, uh, this everything is very good, but we now don't have uh, money for play. And now I am free, I've, I have some options, but I want now concentration for this uh, national team and after we will see. Okay, well I think you, you did a good job of putting yourself in the shop window with the performance yesterday and uh, tell me about last season because uh, you, you didn't have a, a set club right for most of the year uh, last season I uh, I have contract with Zagreb and after after one month we cancel contract uh, after I'm free agent I played in ASEAN in Doha in Kuwait Qatar, this tournament and some league and uh, this is my last season and uh, how has that been for you? Because moving around, I guess the level is also not so high. But uh, is the focus then just staying fit? Uh, I tell you, this this level in Asia is not same like Europe. But sometimes it's good because in West Prem I play very big uh, level of handball and uh, not easy for me, myself, my family. This everything I have. Uh, my wife, three kids, and uh, I want little restart, uh, rest myself, and uh, be be more times with family. And I go in Doha, and I come here, and for me, I think I restart my uh, career. So it's a, it's a new start then for you, you feel with this stuff. Like yeah, now it's new start. Yes, yes, yes. Has that is that also a little bit of your thinking behind coming back to the national team? No, some people speak. Uh, he back he he back here in uh, national team because he want uh, uh, find club. No, I have two, three, five, five, six club. Now I have contract. Yeah. I want play national team because I live in my country. I have more time with family with everything, and I, now I have time for uh, for uh, national team. I think uh, this uh, coach uh, Shola is very good, uh, very good uh, man, very good uh, strategy and uh, all team is very good and I think we have chance for something more and uh, because of this I come back in national team. Okay, because as you said, there's been a lot of people talking over the years about you and the national team. Has the coach had a big role to play in that, Vlado, coming to the national team? Did he speak to you as well beforehand? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. He, he speak with me. He tell uh, he want. We speak uh, two, three months and we speak about everything, about everything. And uh, I tell yes, I come in. Did he have to work hard to convince you or was it just a... He gave you his ideas about the team, and uh... yeah, yeah, this uh, better team. Uh, he tell me, he tell me uh, idea from him and uh, for play for team with me better. If I, I back uh, and uh, I accept, come back. Now I think we are in good way 
yesterday's we don't have lucky but tomorrow is new day and we play against Island Island is very good I don't need to speak about Island and player of Island but we have our chance and uh, we try win Island tomorrow when we are here in game it's funny because I I read a, an article uh, which uh, you had from I think it was 2015 and uh, you had kind of broken into the national yes, team yes, yes. with 10 goals against, against Iceland. I scored 10 goals against Iceland, yes. Uh, this is qualification. Yeah. And we go in, in Denmark, uh, national, national, uh, European. Yeah. Yes, and there I broke my hand against Denmark. Yeah, okay. Against them, yes. Okay. The last time you played a championship with, with Montenegro was 2016, is that right? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And, and uh, after this, I play qualification for uh, European yeah. Croatia. Do you notice a big difference in the team since 2016, 17? Yes, well, I, I, a lot of change, a lot of things change. Previous uh, coach Zoran Roganovic changed a lot of mentality, and he uh, he changed a lot of things. A lot of a lot of players. Uh, Collective is better and uh, atmosphere. Atmosphere is very, very better than before. And because of because of this, I listen. I speak with uh, Mirko Radovic, this captain. We play together in Lovchen, and he talk with me, talk with me, and I accept to come back. Okay. And you mentioned earlier about the the new start for you as uh, with thinking about your family and as a player. Do you feel like you have changed uh, anything in your style as well in the last few years? Because we know you as a you know, big shooting player. Of course, the arm is still there. Have you matured in some other ways, you feel? You know, like, we are normal uh, people. When you have 20 or 25 or 30, you change some things. You change because you you know, you know a little more, little more. I know a little more handball. I change some things. I understand that handball is not only this shoot uh, handball. Is maybe you play for the, another people, for your uh, friend, your colleague. And I change maybe this, but my style is same, but with uh, some more details. Yeah, well, it's great to see you back as well. I think it's uh, it was really a, a nice surprise in a way to see you. Uh, uh, in such good form for the team. Of course, this is the toughest group in the whole championship. We saw that yesterday with the two games. For the team, is it is it about the results necessarily, or are you trying to to build something for the for the long term? Thank you uh, for this uh, nice uh, speak, and uh, I think then we have chance for something more. Yesterday we lose, but now we have chance for uh, win Iceland, win Serbia, and we are here in the game. Yesterday, I tell you, we don't have, we don't have lucky and uh, some things. Now, okay, I will show, I will show it to you this one situation. Uh, you must see my shoot. Yes, it went over the line exactly. I said it. I said it in the commentary as well. Yes. Yeah. And, and they didn't uh, check this one they score. Check. But this is handball. Yeah. And what we speak something about referee? No, no. We we miss a lot of. We have chance for win. We don't win. This I tell you. In last ten minutes, we must have four, five for us. Yeah. We can in legal game lose. Hungary play very good. Maybe yesterday he want to win more than me. Yeah. This is my um, life. You could see that at the end, there was a lot of mutual respect between the two teams as well. You knew that you were in a battle. It got very messy at some point in the second half as well, but afterwards there was a lot of uh, 
respect between the two teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we are uh, first we are friends in core and one core. We play together a lot of times. Uh, we play against uh, each other, and we are. In all handball people is like one family. I think we know everyone know in the core, outside of core, and I think this respect is uh, one level what is up, level up, and I think this is more important than who win, who play. Okay, yes, we want, I want win every time, but I respect everyone. I like then he respect me and this is very nice. I think that's a great way to, to finish it. And, uh, hopefully we'll see you back at the, the top level with the club as well. So we will see. Yes. <laughs> we will see. No. And no, you can't give me any tips about who you're joining. Nothing. Yeah, we'll see, yeah. <laughs> Thank you to Vuko Borjan. And uh, if you're wondering towards the end of that interview, it got a bit interactive as he showed me something on his phone. And uh, what he showed me was the uh, the shot which went over the line, but wasn't given as a goal and wasn't checked on the video replay. Uh, so there was a, that was a first, I think, for the podcast. But a great chat with Vuko. And now to, to go back to the main topic of the day in this championship so far and the Faroe Islands draw with Norway. Brian Campion's here. Brian, you were on the ground again. Seems to be uh, your lucky championship for that. At the moment, two of the biggest occasions so far. Yeah. What did you make of that? Yeah, I mean, it it feels like last night doesn't compare to many other nights. Not of, not only in this Euro, but maybe out of all the games I've ever seen, I think it was uh, really something special. Um, I don't know where to start exactly, but I'll start with the crowd, I think, because I think the yes. crowd is uh, it's a different, different beast to any other crowd I've ever experienced before. And everyone knows each other which is kind of a bizarre thing as well <laughs> so it's like a crowd of absolute mates they're all cousins or aunties and uncles of everyone they're all kind of somehow a bit related as well um so it really is like a massive stag tour or something it feels like when you're up in the crowd there uh, and it's it's yeah. really quite incredible especially when i'm going up there doing some camera work they're loving it like you know a lot of crowds nowadays can be a little bit spoiled by from certain countries and they're not too bothered but there's a there's an unbelievable energy off off this fairies crowd and the whole country would have fit into Dusseldorf arena which gives you a bit of context for how small <laughs> this place is every single person every auntie and uncle and granny and granddad would have fit in that opening at that opening match which is a quite incredible one, just to put it in a bit a bit of perspective to how small it really is and how big of an achievement it is to uh to push Slovenia and then to have that incredible finish against Norway. I mean, it was just, I had goosebumps almost the whole game. And I spoke to Ari then, who we spoke to in the Faroe Islands directly after the Secretary General, Secretary General yeah, after the game. And he was, he was, he's quite a, quite a cool and collected kind of guy. And, uh, yeah, he, even he was getting, he was getting giddy, giving me a big hug towards the end as well. So it was, uh, wow. it was, it was a nice moment. And, um, Ah, uh, yeah, just like, I mean, so much to talk about, but I don't know what you touched on exactly, but where do you want to start with this one? I want to get a get a feeling for how they're dealing with the, like these games as well. Often at these these games, you're on the sideline, you get a real feeling for the you know the vibes of the team and uh, and how they are on the court, of course, they're they're looking very like cool, calm, collected. 
um, just like they did in those qualifiers, just like they have in the underage championships. Uh, is, is that the impression you're getting, like being so close to them that they are just like, you know, taking it all in their stride? Yeah, it does really, it really feels like they're just like, this is an, such an absolute bonus that we can't, mm. that we can't really mess this up. You know what I mean? It's like, so they, it really feels like, and you see it on the court as well, I don't necessarily feel a whole bunch of nerves from them even. And they seem to be able to, I don't know, just just totally cope at this level and lapping up the crowd. But it really is incredible how they just can play so so freely. And uh, the old skipper, he might have missed a lot of shots yesterday. I think he missed, was it seven shots? <laughs> but he still got player of the match. Must be a first for that. But uh, hey, hey, I mean, we we talked about that, like you know, five goals, but ten assists as well. Yeah, uh, no, it's that's incredible. phenomenal. Yeah, incredible. You know, the the assist giving itself is um, was worthy of that. But also the um, the panic he, he causes with even the shots he does miss. I don't know. There's, there's kind of a, such urgency to to their backcourt that it's it really is it really kind of messes with people. Mind and Ollie Mitten's one versus one skills is just if he's ever a logo of a company or if he starts with some sort of brand, it should be that picture of. Someone uh, getting past the defender and just their arm around his hip as he just goes past. <laughs> I mean that that is his logo and that his brand. That's his yeah. one against one. It's um, it really is unbelievable. And he's just, I mean, just incredible. I think he's just turned eighteen. It's just absolutely bonkers. Um, what other kind of uh, players stood out to you as? I think your man Paulson actually was was a bit of was a bit of a rock there as well for them. He came up with some really important goals at some important stages as well. Yeah, that, this is what we we spoke about briefly before. What what really stood out to me was the fact that they use the entire squad as well like there was that that time that uh that Asha Pikachu clearly wasn't um wasn't firing in all cylinders towards the end of the first half and then they they just rotated the squad they used all of the team that which I didn't necessarily expect before the championship but I had seen in their test matches just before the championship against Belgium and a few months ago against uh, Iceland they played the same team twice both times and in one game, they'd use their best team, and in the other game, they'd totally rotate the bench and preparing for moments like this. And uh, Alex reckoned it was th- them learning a lesson from the Slovenia game to use the entire squad. But did it feel like that a lot more of the team were maybe in the game today and had also been uh, fresher because of it? Yeah, I think it's it's a it was a clever way to go about it, and I think. A lot of people who hadn't seen the Faroe Islands coming into this tournament, I was surprised by what some people were saying about them, that they didn't, they kind of were maybe underestimating them. It's still, they thought maybe when they get to this level, then they'd be way off the pace. But I never really felt that. And I think they could beat Poland with Poland looking like, I don't know, I mean, I don't know what you've seen of Poland play, but the body language is just so off. I don't know, there's something right. not right there. And then in Polish media, there's talk of them, maybe the coach being sacked after the tournament already. And it doesn't seem like Poland, when you compare it to them at the last year when they were given Norway that great game and they really had some good performances in them, but it just yeah. seems like they're they're miles off the pace now. And then you could the Faroe Islands coming out with their tails up. You'd fancy them to get the win there, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's just a pity that uh, it's going to take a big uh, switch, you know, a big turn in in goal difference to actually get in. They need Norway to lose. They need to lose by a fair amount. They need to hammer Poland and basically turn around a fourteen goal. Uh, deficit to get into the main round but that's not important the fact that we've been talking about Faroe Islands potentially getting into the main round I think is a is an amazing story in itself they could have lost all three games but these guys are all 18 to 21 years old 
it's not about the perform- the results in this championship. It's about the no. fact that in two years, in four years, in six years, these yeah. guys still won't even be at their peak. That that draw yesterday wasn't about points. You know, no. that was, we've got the first draw. Well, no, it was about, in a historical sense, about getting the first point. Mm. But it wasn't really about this tournament, if you know what I mean. And I feel like if they go out and beat Poland, that's a hu- that's just so huge for them. Yeah. You know, they went in the one a game and drew a game at the Euro. That's absolutely Massive. incredible. And yeah, okay, it didn't work out that they didn't make it to the main round in the end. But I think they'll be, they'll be just happy with getting any type of results here. And I think that's, that's really the, the feeling I was... Uh, I was getting from them. Talk to me about Norway a little bit because it must have been a bit of a nightmare for them. You know, we we talked to Daniel Hoagland before the championship about like you you joked saying you asking him like how does it feel the fact that uh, you used to be the kind of the hot new kid on the block and now it's Faroe Islands and that was quite literally what happened in that game yesterday. Uh, were Norway kind of crumbling a little bit on the because I mean they didn't play bad handball but. Uh, that end was a disaster and were they feeling a little bit of the the pressure throughout the 60 minutes because of the fact that they are you know the big boys in this I mean I spoke to Daniel directly after the game yeah I was walking out, walking out to the transport with him and we were we were talking about uh, and I said can you feel somewhat happy for the fair violence and he said no absolutely he says I was I was, about, I was sad for about five minutes and then I just started feeling happy for the fair violence you know because <laughs> he's uh he could just see how much it really meant to him. I mean, he was doing loads of interviews post match with, with, uh, with some of the players and with with Helgi, who was who was on our podcast uh, with them. He was doing an interview with him and his girlfriend <laughs> up in the stands. Nice. Um, so there was a certain amount of in, and even with some of the Norway players directly after the game, there was, of course, they were like insanely disappointed. But there was something else there that they could almost appreciate what it meant to the yeah. fair ones. They didn't say anything along those lines, but. It's just a vibe I was getting from the whole thing. Interesting. Um, Harold Reinkin thought he was fouled on that last ball. Yeah, he felt like he was, the, the ball was grabbed from his yeah, hands. Yeah. But you're never going to get that call at that, at that stage of the game. You're never going to get that call. In the chaos of the last few seconds of a game like that, with all that in the line, you're not. You're never getting that kind of foul, I don't think. Yeah, we, we talked about the ins and outs of that and like the fact that he even bounced the ball in the first place. That's like <laughs> that he was asking for trouble. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, what, what do you make of people saying about Sander Sags and not stepping up for the last bit? Uh, I saw a little bit of that in the line. They were just in their positions, I think. Like the ball was in Harold Rankin's position. Why wouldn't he yeah. be the one starting it? No, I don't, sure. I, I don't think, yeah, sure. I don't think yeah, that. No. Uh, I'm not sure that was... Probably the idea would have been to pass the ball to Sander at some point and he would run away with it. Um, the man marking Sander was Elias, who then peeled away from Sander and stole the ball. So yeah. Sander was waiting there to get it, probably, and he didn't get it. That, that wing goal that went in, I think it was at the... The one which brought them... Within one or was it level? I can't remember now, but I, the body, I can see the within body one, language yeah. there and the... Within one, yeah. And I saw them kind of... Do you know when you see defenders kind of just looking around at each other, kind of just shrugging their shoulders? It's kind of like, uh-oh, this is this ain't good. <laughs> you know? It's kind of like they kind of feel it coming here. And I felt like, yeah, maybe maybe it got to them a little bit there. But um, I didn't see it coming, honestly. I, I, when, I saw, when I saw them go three up, I was like, oh, this is kind of done now, unfortunately. But they really, really dug deep. And I don't know where the hell Ilias Skipper grew those massive balls from but it's uh, it's really incredible <laughs> yeah I was never going to miss really that it's really incredible to have the balls never going to miss that penalty no uh, but also I think was playing pretty well in goal as well so it was quite the quite the head to head burger in goal was, yeah. had some had some really good saves yeah. I think he had 14 in the end but some really important ones at the end which I thought actually was, was, had sealed it well that's it three goals up 
with a minute and a half left to play. Should have been job done. Can we go back to the crowd a little bit? Alex and I spoke about the uh, about his favourite chant, the uh, Oli Oli Mitton, Pauli Pauli Mitton, the uh, the Torre chant. Anything else you, you can can tell us about the the atmosphere in there among the 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 Pharaohs fans? Well, Pharaohs and uh, Walter Krintz and Felix Muller, Walter Krintz, the yeah. Swedes uh, yeah. who are adopted Faroese boys now for the week. Yeah, so I was. Shooting the fairies crowd, I was like, God, that, that, is that an old friend of mine in the crowd there? And I was like, oh no, wait a second, it's Walter Krintz. And then I, I just had to send it through to uh, to the social media guys straight away because, yeah, he was there with Felix Muller and living his best life. Um, that's just incredible to see how it just kind of does, uh, how you have national team players from other countries coming in to support yeah. the Faroe Islands. And another thing which, which was really funny, I thought, was the Faroe Island fans had all learned uh, the, the Norwegian national anthem before the game so they sang it with them. oh what <laughs> well, you're not serious <laughs> yeah I'm serious yeah they kind of had made a conscious effort and they'd sent it out to everyone to all the fans wow. so there's a lot of fans there on their phones singing the national Norwegian national anthem with them um, holy the, shit uh, I, I can't remember what the reason for it was but it was maybe something along the lines that they kind of outnumbered them so much that they kind of wanted to give them something back <laughs> it was like the, one of the nicest things I've ever, that, I've ever that seen that is so sweet well good luck to them learning the Polish one in two days time <laughs> <laughs> yeah not gonna happen but, uh, not gonna happen we, we spoke about it as well right at the end but I want to get your perspective on this because you were perfectly placed for this uh, after Pharaoh after Elias scored the equaliser they didn't celebrate amongst themselves. They all went straight back to their own fans to celebrate, which is a beautiful moment in itself. And you were right there. Uh, they were right there on top of you as well, celebrating yeah. that moment. Uh, was that the greatest moment in your uh, videography career? Yeah, I was like on the other side of the court first and I had to run over and I dropped so many things <laughs> running over. Like there was this, the media manager was coming back picking battery packs up and cables <laughs> handed to me afterwards because I was skirted over there. But I, yeah, it was, I mean, the, the expression on Skipper's face when he was just yelling his young lungs out. And I'm sure you'll see that clip eventually surfacing uh, somewhere, probably in the documentary, but uh, that's coming out after the Euro. But um, uh, just unbelievable emotions. I can just tears and... And uh, when uh, our old friend Helgi went over to, uh, after the game, he went over and I think it was maybe his, some sort of relatives and they were just all over him uh, like a bad, like a bad shirt. And uh, it, uh, it's it's almost hard to literally put in words because I've rarely experienced, I've seen some people winning the Champions League and huge emotions like that, but this kind of felt, it ran a bit deeper. Yep. And uh, I think everyone in the crowd is feeling like we might never have, probably won't have this Kind of, I mean, this generation again. We need to really lap this up, and yeah, ten percent of the population. We'll never have ten percent of any population. Well, well we might have twenty percent next time. I don't again. know. <laughs> That's it. Like with this fairy theme, he said they'll never have this generation again. But they have a long time left with this generation. But they'll That's never true. be a first yeah. result like that. And that was definitely the. That's like a uh, a watershed moment. Uh, for this team so yeah amazing stuff well put into words there Brian he said he found it difficult but I think he did a good job there <laughs> and uh, I think we can wrap it up for today thank you all for listening maybe the end of the preliminary round podcast won't be so uh, so dedicated to Faroe Islands but I think nobody can argue that this one should have been thank you and see you in a couple more days goodbye goodbye